Welcome to the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey. This is Teeing It Up with Jeremy showing for the Wednesday, October 17th, 2018. Get your flu shots out there. That's my opening message for today's show. And uh, this is the gambling and uh, fantasy NFL show for week number... What is this? Week 7? Week 8? Week 7 in the National Football League. But first of all, Danny Flecker, you're a giant fan. Um, I watch that team, and I feel like I'm watching a high school offense playing against like a much better team. Uh, they just do not look like a functioning group of people except for Saquon Barkley. It is bizarre. It's been frustrating the last couple of years to watch this team and what they've done and how unimaginative they can be. And I think, you know, you don't want to make excuses for them. And I think that the whole offensive line thing is pretty worn out. Uh, Philadelphia was a terrible game for them. You know, overall, it's just mistake left and right. Dallas game comes into question too earlier this year, but you know I've done enough reading on them and uh, looking at different stats and this and that that you can go with them. And you know most of the games that they played in this year, Eli's been pretty comfortable in the pocket. You know when I was looking at some of the stuff, and you know one stat I read today was an article on the Ringer about like six of the most unused players in the NFL. And Odell Beckham was one of them, and there was a compilation, There's a video on there, it was a compilation of the throws that went 16 air yards or deeper to Odell Beckham, and there haven't been any since the Saints game. It's crazy. And, <laughs> she and only three of those have been completed, and all of them have been wildly overthrown or underthrown or into double coverage, whatever you want to say. Like, it's just not, for whatever reason, just like getting in. You know, there are a couple things that come to mind for me, at least. You know, the first couple weeks of the season, they had Ingram. The offense was maybe able to go a little more vertical, space out people a little more, create mismatches, leave Odell maybe one-on-one, or whatever it might be. He hasn't been there the last couple weeks, and hopefully him coming back this week allows them to be a little bit more extensive with their playbook. The second thing is, I understand getting the ball out quick. But when you're getting the ball out quick into coverages that are designed to take away that quick stuff, you got to do something different. It's just—it's frustrating that they just run hooks and slants and flat routes and nothing. You know, play action isn't established because they abandon the run too early. And you know, there's a lot of different ways you can combat that. You know, and I think that's one of the most frustrating parts is that you watch—you know—I watch enough NFL games to see quarterbacks and offenses play and. Yeah, Eli can't move in the pocket. It's not his strong suit. I don't think it ever has been. But when you're an offense that maybe is allowing defensive pass rushers to get upfield, there's plays that can combat that. You can run draws. You can run screens. You can run counterplays to, to, to a, a different side of the formation to alleviate some of that upfield pass rush. And it's a little schematic things like that that they just aren't implementing into their offense on a weekly basis. And that's what's frustrating is, you know, they ran one screenplay uh, to the running back, not to the wide receiver. I hate that play. That, that play is, is the dumbest play in the NFL. It's Come beyond on. stupid. The Jets have won that play for years. And, and when you're in a stadium, you see it. It's a, it, it, it's a, a long pass. B, it's got to be thrown firm or else it has a, a chance to be a pick six. And number three, if it's incomplete, 
it's, it's just a waste of a play. Or, or if there's a pass rush and it gets completed late and you get tackled immediately, it's a waste of a play. I've never understood that play. I mean, you see it a lot in college, and it works in college because they're not running a lot of press coverages. A lot of those defenses are in zone. But if you're even in zone in the NFL, these corners are coming up and pressing, knowing that they have someone underneath or whatever it might be. And it's just it's too easy of a play for defenses to flow to, especially on the outside with the speed of the linebackers and corners and safeties nowadays. It's just too hard of a play to really see any success out of. They ran one screenplay against the Eagles, and Barkley almost took it to the house. And I think that's what you need to see more of, those screenplays in the middle of the field. If you're going to let the pass rush go, let them go, and hopefully you can complete the pass to the running back. And then and then from there, you have one of the most explosive players in the in the open field in the NFL on your team. But they're just not doing that. And it's becoming more and more frustrating each week to watch them because it's, it's like you can script their first, you can script all their plays, and you know what they're doing. And... The point route is going to be mitigated once you play underneath coverage. Eli can't complete a deep ball against cover two against, uh, along the sideline. They don't have anybody in the middle of the field to pull the safety, even if they're in cover two. So it, it's just it, it's tough to watch and it's frustrating because you know now that this team is still another three or four years away from being successful. And unless they unless something changes radically with them either the rest of this year or next year, where they get on some kind of roll or figure something out, you know. We could be seeing guys like Barkley, Shepard, and Beckham being wasted on a team that just can't get out of its own way. And, you know, I don't want to say it's Shermer's fault or the offense's fault or whatever it is, but, you know, I was appalled last year when they pulled Eli for Geno Smith. It was a lost season. It would have been better to have given Webb a shot or do something, but I think it's clear now that either A, Eli is completely done, he just can't make the throws anymore. Or B, he's just so PT. He has so much PTSD from that offensive line and getting batted around like a ragdoll back there that even if he has the time for him, it's, it's not enough. And you can tell. You can watch his feet. Just watch his feet on Monday night when they play the Falcons. How he's never set. How he's never pointing his shoulders to where he's throwing. How he's throwing off his back foot or if he's fading away or wherever it is. And, and it's just... it's. It's hurtful to watch because, yeah, do I want them to win games? Absolutely, as a fan, but I want them to be competitive, and they just haven't been competitive this year in, in certain games, and it's, it's just growing more and more uh, frustrating to watch them play. Uh, they have not been competitive in many games. To your point about screens to Saquon Barkley, first thing that came to mind is Curtis Martin. Curtis Martin, as most people who are old enough will remember, was the king of screen passes. And I'm just going to give you this. He had 10 career receiving touchdowns, and he had the following receiving yards for his career. Um, 261, 333, 296, 365, 259, 508 in that 2000 season when he also rushed for... Uh, 1,200 yards, 320, 326, 322, 245, and 118. For every single one of those, he was, he averaged, if I'm reading this right, he averaged um, over, four, over, over five yards per catch um, every single game and year and, and season. And that, to me, is how you use a dynamic running back is by running those screen passes. 
you just think about what a screen really does. You allow the pass rush to come upfield. That that automatically takes away two or three, maybe even four defenders from the play. You're, you're flowing your offensive line and you're blocking to the side of the screen, creating an, a, an advantage in numbers there. And then you have one of the best, you know, wide open players, you know, in the NFL. And you can just tell that he can do what he can when he gets the ball in his hands. Just look at how quick he is. And even if it might be covered, he can get out of it. But when your running back has 99 yards receiving every single week or 10 receptions or whatever it is, you got to be a little more creative with the, with the offensive line and the overall passing game. And that is draw plays, screen plays, whether it's, you know, double moves on the outside just give Eli a little bit of time to make those, those plays. And they just aren't doing it. And whether it's a fear of calling them because you're, you know, afraid that they're not going to be able to block long enough. Maybe it's Eli he's scared to pull the trigger because he doesn't want he doesn't want to throw interceptions. He would rather, you know, take the safe stuff. There's something mentally going on with, with that team right now. And, uh, again, I don't want to make excuses for them, but that Carolina game, they, I thought their offense played as well as they were going to play all year. And, unfortunately, they lost on the 63-yard field goal and the turnaround in four days and emotionally get up to play one of your rivals. It is a horrible sequence that, that maybe decides their year because if that misses and they play better against um, the Eagles, they're 3-2, they're and two and this is a whole different story. Exactly. So, you know, again, I don't want to make excuses for them. That's their job. They knew the schedule coming out. They knew what they had to get done. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do with 13 days off, what they, they scheme against. You know, the 49ers, you know, is that a winnable game for them? I think absolutely. I mean, I don't see why it wouldn't be. But there, there needs to be some philosophical change with how they're calling plays because if they keep going the way they're going right now, you're just going to be watching them score 16 to 18 points a game and, and ripping your hair out as a fan. And uh, their defense at times has played really well, but they can, you know, again, it comes down to a point of not scoring. <laughs> As uh, Danny here goes through the n- no cell service of uh, of of a portion of Boston, trying to get out of that city. As here we are here on, on teeing it up the, the uh, betting and fantasy show, which we'll now get to. Still there, sir? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, cell service went in and out. Let's uh, first go to the Thursday game, Denver Arizona, a game that America has been waiting for. Um, you left work early today so that you could take off tomorrow so that you can be prepped up and fully ready for this Thursday night football game, correct? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Um, is there anything in this game that interests you? Anything? Betting, fantasy, in general? I, 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 I can't figure out anything. Yeah, you know, there's some players here that you can be looking at to help you out as far as the fantasy perspective. You know, Christian Kirk seems to be the number one option right now for Rosen, so he could be a good play this week for you if you pick him up off the waiver wire. Um, Emmanuel Sanders has been the number one wide receiver in Denver, so if you got him in your lineup, you know, you can feel comfortable rolling with him. Um, other than that, you know, those are probably the two plays I want to highlight in that game. Other than that, you know, it's going to be kind of tough, I think, to really get up for that game or really be excited for any of your matchups. You know, the Cardinals have a decent defense. Denver's defense has sucked. Keenum has sucked. You know, Rosen is not somebody you want to be playing. Dennis Johnson's kind of been underwhelming. Uh, the Denver running back situation, who knows what that's about. So, you know, I think the two top play, fancy players in that game are, are Kirk and Sanders. 
All right, now we move to London, 9.30 a.m. Eastern, nationwide on the CBS television network, Tennessee and Los Angeles. Los Angeles played at Cleveland last week, so they're... They, they, they don't have a huge time zone change, but obviously it's 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 on adjustment for a West Coast team. The six and a half point line with Los Angeles, the favorite. That to me is a big line. What do you make of that? You know the Titans had that great game against the Eagles, and then had fallen flat flat on their face the last two weeks, only scoring twelve points combined, getting sacked eleven times last week against Baltimore. You know, for me, if I'm betting, I'm taking the Chargers. I know it's a big line, but the Chargers' offense has been phenomenal the last couple of weeks. And, you know, Tennessee just hasn't proved that they can stay in those types of games throughout Marcus Mariota's career. Like, they just cannot get into a shootout or whatever it is they're doing that's not working. Uh, they have no run game to speak of, and their offensive line is kind of a mess, you know, allowing 11 sacks. So, I, I think I feel comfortable taking San Diego. I know it's a London game. You know, who knows what could happen in that? But um, you know, San Diego's offense is clicking right now. Their defense seems to kind of be picking up steam a little bit here. And uh, San Diego is a team that you could watch watch for the next couple of weeks. You know, this is a chance for them to make their moves to stay in the AFC playoff hunt. But I do like San Diego in that game. I mean, LA. Sorry, you call them San Diego. It's okay. Just join the rest of them. Just join the rest of the country. Who still calls them San Diego? Um, I see a huge trap line here of Philly, Carolina. How is Philly a five-point favorite? That just that, that seems to me to be an insane line that does not make any sense. So I mean, you know, it's a reaction to the way they played against the Giants, and um, I, I think that line is about right. To be honest with you, Carolina's defense on the road always underperforms and their offense always underperforms and you can just go back and take a look at this season as a sample size. Carolina they were six point uh, dogs lost by seven. Um, Washington there was a one point line I can't remember which way it was. They lost by seven. Um, you know at home they've won against the Giants against the Cowboys and against the Bengals. Uh, on the road Carolina is just a different team for whatever reason they just can't get into the groove of, of the way that they need to play and Last year in Carolina, Philly did beat them. Granted, it was a different team, uh, but I think Philadelphia looked good on Thursday. Uh, they seem to have found a little something with Wentz. He looked a little bit more mobile. He looked a little more confident. And just his ability to play outside the pocket does help them tremendously, which he did a little more on Thursday. Five points to me seems about right. You know, I'm leading the Eagles in that game just because they're at home and uh, that defense, you know, even in their losses, has looked good, and I think they're starting to pick up steam a little bit. All right, it's that time of the show where we're, where we're going to let's take two. It's that time of the show where we're going to go through and um, uh, talk about games that uh, you want to pick and you don't want to pick. So give me your top. Let's do top three this week. Top three games to pick. Top three games to avoid from a betting perspective. Yeah, so I think uh, we'll start with the avoid. I um, you know, was looking at some of the lines earlier this week. I think one line I would avoid would be the Rams against the Niners. I think it's 10 points right now. The Rams' offense has not performed as well the last two weeks as they did earlier in the season. They lost a couple on Saturday, on Sunday. It doesn't look like he's going to play. Um, San Francisco is spicy. They're going to get after it. You know, they've had a couple of tough losses, and I think that if I'm going to bet that game, I'm going to go with the 49ers, but I would stay away from that one. It's a big spread. Dallas-Washington is another tough one for me to call. It's like a pick basically, one point, one and a half points, whatever it is. 
Dallas looked great last week. Washington looked great last week. And then, you know, here they are playing each other. And I have no idea what to think of any of those teams. And I, I think Dallas caught lightning in a the bottle. They were able to play ahead of Jacksonville, which we know is a good thing to do when you play that team because their offense just cannot come back. Uh, they were able to get after Bortles at home. Uh, I think that, that game for the Cowboys, to me, doesn't really change my opinion of them. I, I still think they're a mediocre team, but I don't know what to think of Washington either, so I'd stay away from that game. And then I would stay away from the Jets-Minnesota game, too. To me, that screams trap as, as well. Like, Minnesota's won the last two weeks. The Jets have won the last two weeks. Jets are better at home than they are on the road, but... Uh, again, I don't know if I want to take Minnesota in that game or take the Jets in that game. That game just seems it just seems like one of those games the Jets might pull out of their ass, to be honest with you, uh, that they've done the last couple years at home. And then the three games I like, I do like New England this week. I think that line is, is pretty low. Chicago does have a good defense, but New England isn't really phased by that. The Chicago offense, that isn't going to run away with the game either. Uh, that showing against Miami was really disappointing that they couldn't stop Brock Osweiler. So um, whether it's you know playing Miami or whatever it is, like I, I think I'm fading the Bears this week and taking the pack. I like Cleveland this week. I you know last week uh, I said to stay away from that game. I thought there was a little much, too much hype with Cleveland, but going against the Tampa defense that literally couldn't stop anyone. Um, I think Cleveland has a bounce-back game there, and we all know that Jameis Winston is prone to make mistakes or turn the ball over, and Cleveland's been really good at that this year. So um, I think Cleveland is, is a good bet this week. And then another game I like this week um, is the Detroit-Miami game. Uh, so there's no line posted yet, but since Brock Osweiler was named the starting quarterback, um, I would think that line should be like around three or so. I like Detroit coming off a bye week. Um, their defense has been pretty good lately. You know, they were able to hold Aaron Rodgers to a mediocre game. And Miami had one of those really emotional wins last week in overtime. And usually teams that come back the next week from that usually tend to, to fade a little bit. So I do like Detroit in that game. All right, now fantasy players, the three or four you like this week and the three or four you don't like. And, and and obviously, I think any giant skill players is not going to be on that list of people to pick. Yeah, and any skill players that they have are obvious plays anyway. But, you know, some, some players to keep in mind and with injuries and buys this week, um, you know, you can look at Atlanta. Edo Smith, the backup running back, is Tevin Coleman. He's been used... Uh, Pretty much like in a timeshare with Tevin Coleman, so he could be someone that you could plug in possibly for a uh, flex. Um, Jermaine Kirsch is another one. Uh, with the Nunwa hurt, he led the team in targets last year. It seems like Robbie Anderson also hurt his hamstring, so Kirsch could be the number one wide receiver, or one of the number one options this week. For Sam Darnold, we know he likes to throw underneath, and he led the team in targets last week. Um, what a, you know, you can look to um, also. You know, I know Blake Bortles had a crappy game last week, but if you're struggling to find a QB, he's not a terrible play this week um, against Houston's defense that it's just been terrible, too, on the road and, you know, can't seem to, to get off the field. So Blake Bortles might not be a bad play if you're looking for, uh, you know, a QB to pick up off the waiver wire. Um, I avoid uh, Eli Manning. <laughs> you know, even if you're desperate, I think you can find better options. 
I think that uh, even with a favorable matchup, he, he can't he can't do it right now. It's just not there. So, you know, I avoid him at that position. Um, Adrian Peterson is another guy I avoid. Um, he looks good against Carolina, but I think that uh, Dallas's defense is pretty stingy. They've been performing pretty well this year against the run. Uh, you know, he's someone I think if you have a better option, you might want to plug him in and play there as well. And then, you know, looking at wide receivers, you know, it's tough to find um, people to avoid given the situation of the league right now. But uh, someone like uh, Marquise Goodwin, who had a breakout game last week for San Francisco, you might think he's healthy and ready to go. But, you know, against a Rams team that is probably going to get out to a decent-sized lead, and uh, play the pass, you know, he might be someone I'd avoid because you're going to be looking for them to use play action to get him open, and they have to be in the game in order for it to happen. I don't know if they're going to be able to do that. He is Danny Flecka. He gives us fantasy and betting advice, and he's also a giant fan who just wants to see his team, team somehow, some way, play functional football again. One day. One day they'll do it. <laughs> One day they will do it. Um... We thank him for his time, and thank you, as always, for coming on Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Enjoy, everybody.